The Recruitment Mentors community is now completely open for you to join. It's the meeting point for recruitment professionals who want to take their development and growth into their own hands. Whether you're starting out your career or five years into it, our mission is to empower you to accelerate your development with the most successful, collective, current and responsive teachings from outside of your four walls. You can now join the community for just £39 per month by going directly to our website at recruitmentmentors.com. That's recruitmentmentors.com. Your new mentors are waiting to meet you. Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Ben Muwoki, who is currently the Managing Director of Source Group International's American Business, um, who operate in several states such as LA, New York, and soon to be launching in Chicago. Ben entered the recruitment industry in 2001, where he joined S3, and he stayed there for 19 years, where he climbed the ranks from recruiter all the way to vice president of sales, um, and this is where he's responsible for five distinct brands across seven locations in North America before he left to join SGI to head up their American division in 2020. Ben, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Hisham. Excited to uh, to talk. Yeah, really looking forward to this. So where we always like to, to start um, on this show is, in your opinion, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? You know, I've been asked this question a lot over the years, and there's no better answer, I feel, than one I got from uh, one of my uh, MDs, a guy called Daley Thompson, and he instilled into me this belief about three Ps, um, purpose, persistence, and pride. And so, although those are obvious in their definitions, um, there are often many people that don't have a purpose-driven approach Right, they will just turn up and, you know, one day they might be on, another day they might not be. The people that I've seen the most successful who sustain success have got clarity in terms of where they're going and why and what they're doing. Whether that's a money-driven, uh, career-driven, uh, any other types of aspirations. They, they really want to know what they want to go for. And, of course, you want people who are resilient. Of course, people that um, can see through. But being able to understand that it's it's not it's not you right you know you're gonna make mistakes look forward to the failure uh, and understand that there is there is success at the end of that and so that that level of persistence the job that we do uh, has often been said is it, it's not rocket science it's not the, the difference is your application your your ability to want to work through and uh, and then pride really caring about what you do, right? So the, that, that job qualification, doing it to the best of your ability, asking the questions that make the difference, following up with the candidate, even if you, even if you don't have feedback for them, having pride in, in your service. And so those are, those are the three things that I, I really believe stand the test of time. And every top biller or producer that I've ever seen or met, they have those three things um, in, in, in some way. Yeah. Really, yeah, I really like how you brought that. Yeah, sharing that with the, the free P's. That's really interesting. So, just to tee this up for everyone. So, obviously, you worked at S3 for a, for a long period of time, and across that time, you worked in different locations. Started in the UK, yeah. 
moved to Amsterdam in that time, New York, and then later Chicago, which is where yeah. you're sort of based now. And then yeah. obviously 2020 moved to SGI, where you're based in Chicago and, and helping them grow their American business, right? So we're, we're going to uh, unpack this. But I'll be honest with you, Ben, I haven't had loads of uh, recruitment professionals on here who um, have come from the infamous S3 brand, right? <laughs> so I'm all, I only knew about S3 when I, when I moved up to, to London and sort of got sucked into this whole world of recruitment, right? So I, I, I'm always curious to hear from different people's stories um, and journeys as to like how they would describe it. So how firstly would you describe your first year in recruitment and then Latterly, like, how would you describe the S3 culture that sort of has really stuck with you when you look back into those years? Yeah, sure. I, I look back at my time at S3 really fondly. Uh, it's it's the time that shaped me professionally and has given me all the career opportunities that I've asked for and more. So uh, there's 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 lots of there's lots of fond memories. When I first started, February twenty eighth, two thousand and one, I joined with a, ba- a brand called Recruit First. That's later, okay. later. That's merged into into, into others. Um, I I remember it was a baptism of fire. There was a great bunch of people thirsty for activity, um, and um, it was it was fierce, right? Um, there was great training. There was great application, but there was a an absolute uh, understanding that you needed to get on with it, right? You needed to be able to ask the questions, understand what you need to do, but then just execute. And so like many, I went through that roller coaster. Um, I remember my first lunch clubs, which were amazing. I remember uh, blanking, which was devastating. Um, <clears throat> but all, all the while, I look back at that, that first year and I, <clears throat> it was a real lesson. And the, the, the biggest lesson for me was was really about uh, one of those three P's I talked about earlier um, about purpose. I, I turned up thinking I've got this. I'm going to really I'm going to really crush it. And there were there were certainly moments or some months where I was fully at it, and that translated into my performance. <clears throat> and then there was other other months, excuse me, where I okay. I believed my own I believed my own hype, right? And so I, because I did well, I I, I uh, took my foot off the gas a little bit and and then that translated in in poor performance <laughs> and so it, it really took me about six to nine months to to figure out that I needed to create this calm in my approach and that that's how I'm going to be able to um deliver further on and uh your your next question about the culture I think any great organization they start with their people, right? And that's that's certainly true of my experience at, uh, at S3. Lots of the people that I worked with then, I, <clears throat> I count as, as as good close friends today. Uh, some some I'm working with, you know, we've gone round the circle, and I'm working yeah. with them back at, at, uh, at SGI. Um, but yeah, it's it, it was people. I I I want to be inspired by colleagues, by staff that I work with. I love the idea of being reverse mentored. And so I've always had that um, access and, and also believe in the journey that the, the person I'm working for. And so that's what allowed me or, or gave me the uh, drive 
to to want to stay at S3 for as long as I did to go to the different locations because there was always there was always um, somebody I could I could go to battle with. There was always somebody I believed in that um, this journey uh, was was worth uh, fighting for, you know, and and, um, and being surrounded by people that are willing to go on that journey and really you know uh, sink themselves in is really fulfilling. Right, you 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 feel like your the sense of togetherness is 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 so strong, and um, and the, and they they back you right, and the, you know if, if you if you've got if you've got the ability you've got the uh, ability to uh, take on something big the, and you've executed, they'll give you an they gave you me an opportunity in multiple locations, and so that just gives you that feeds the engine yeah. and gives you the okay. the, the, uh, the desire to move forward. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, so just just out of curiosity, so how old how old was you when you joined them? Uh, I was 20, 21. Okay, twenty one. Okay, <laughs> okay, interesting. Right. So, so, so there's two things I just want to sort of um, just dig a bit deeper in there. So the first thing, because we're talking about it, like from your in your opinion, then what what were the sort of three non negotiables of the S three culture that you think? They abided by that, that made up the S3 culture. If, if people didn't abide by the, these three top things, what, what were they? Um, so, in no particular order, I would I would say the thing that really stands out is um, you need you needed to um, be like Ron Sill, right? You needed to do what it says in the tin. If you said you were mm. going to be able to deliver on uh, this particular KPI, this particular task, then go and deliver it. Right, and and that that was certainly expected. Um, being in the environments I was in, being a team player, what was really important. So you know, um, cross selling, uh, breaking into customers for for other people, pulling jobs for other people. You would do this long before there were deal splits. Long long before mm. you would get something for it. You would you just did it because it's the right thing to do. Um, and um, and you knew that you know what if I if I break in and, and play my colleague in it's better for the brand better better for me better for the business and uh, and I think I think the other thing was was really having fun right because there's such a strong work uh, mentality that the the the, the culture was. Um, really deeply manifested in having a good time, whether that was at your desk, whether that was after hours, whether it was at lunch clubs, incentives, or, you know, over, over the weekend, you really you really gelled together, right? So this this idea that many people would have talked about, but work hard, play hard, was was a thing, right? And, and mm. um, the people that tended to enjoy that, people that embraced that, um, were, were people that would excel in that environment. Yeah, really interesting. And the the next thing that I just wanted to hear from you. So just to give me an, an idea of, of timeline. So when you when you joined, obviously I know you yeah. said that it was in um yeah, you was um a perm villa. What was the timeline before you then got the opportunity to go to Amsterdam just really quickly? Yeah, so I joined February February twenty eighth, two thousand and one, and I uh, launched our uh, business in, in Amsterdam in June first, two thousand and eight. 2000 okay so seven seven years and yeah i guess building your professional equity of that business and getting the opportunities and these things and then before you um launched that was you in a management position or was you still in just a producer role or both um no i I'd worked my, my way up to a, a manager position actually before moving to amsterdam 
the brand I was with at the time was uh, going to launch in New York. And this was going to happen in 2007. And so I put my hand up and uh, got accepted to launch alongside um, a handful of other uh, individuals. And of course, the financial crisis happened. Yeah. And so it, I was, we were meant to go in 2007. The uh, CEO at the time and my MD at the time you know, broke the news and said, uh, we, can't, we can't go to New York. And so that was pretty devastating. But after two weeks, I, I came back and I, and I just told my MD that, look, the destination of New York, it sounds fantastic, but it's the opportunity that I want. And so, you know, it, it doesn't need to be New York. And, and two weeks later, we started building our plan for Amsterdam and then went six months, six months after that. Okay. And so, so just to be clear, because I know um, I work with some businesses that just recruit in the Amsterdam space. So was there no S3 footprint there before you went there? Yeah, there were other brands. The brands that I yeah, went okay, to I I so. launched was a brand uh, called Madison Black. Um, at, at the time, uh, there was Huxley Progressive and Computer Futures. Well, yeah, because really, I thought, yeah, I thought there were yeah. some people there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So what, what I wanted to know, that, that context really helps and for people listening. So what I just wanted to know, Ben, in like your opinion, is what you're talking about there is that, you, yeah, you, you put your hand up and, and you got accepted, right? So what I'm really curious about is like, why was it that Ben was able to get those opportunities and not others? Like, like we've been talking about, is it is a competitive, it was high standards environment. Um, there, there was fierce competition, but it was also a team player. So I, I just want to know sort of from your opinion, like why was it that Ben got those opportunities and not the person sitting next to you that may have similar ambitions? Well, I can't talk for other people. I can, I can only talk about my, my uh, um, ambition and what I wanted. And so I started off the conversation talking about being purpose-driven. That was something that was drilled into me. And because I, I, I led and still lead with my purpose, it was clear that I wanted to do more. And so at the time, there was a great talent of um, uh, leaders at Madison Black. And I, and I looked around and I felt like the best way for me to, to scale up is to, to go abroad. And so uh, at the time, not many of the, my peers at Madison Black wanted or were prepared to do that, starting young families. And so that that gave me the edge, right? My willingness to get out of my comfort zone, sure. and and then and then communicating to my uh, to my leaders about my desire to do that and my flexibility, right? So wanted to go to New York. Uh, I, I started off telling that story. My, my wife and I got married um, faster than we were going to, just so, so that my wife would be able to get a visa, and so yeah. we. And we sold we sold everything, uh, and we created our, our, our dollar fund. Uh, and you know, three months later, we were told we're not going to go to New York. We're not going to launch, right? And so, being able being able to pivot and and just think, right, okay, you know, it is what it is. We still want to go on a journey, and then taking that opportunity to Amsterdam. I think I displayed flexibility, um, and 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 that was something that the the leadership you know ended up backing. Mm, no, I really, I, I think the key part that I, I keep finding when I sort of ask questions around this that I think people should really take away and put an underline around is is when you said that you you let your leaders know and you communicated that because I think sometimes and I'm sure you've experienced this now, right? I think sometimes people can fall in the trap of expecting expecting those opportunities to come. But actually, the best thing to do is actually over communicate. So if I'm someone working on your team now 
and this is sort of I have an idea of where I want to go or whatever I, I should be communicating that to you and my manager going hey like th this is how I'm thinking about the future th this is sort of where I want to go because when you're then having business strategic meetings around how we're going to grow the business you know then Oliver and such and such has said to you well actually I know all this is sort of somewhere where Ollie wants to go or whatever do you get what I mean so I think that that's that I, I really like that you shared that yeah I Look, certainly communicating your your ambition, communicating your desire is absolutely true from for from as an individual contributor. And I think as a le the leaders need to also uh, in, in have the conversations with staff because some staff might not yet be comfortable in putting their hand up. They might think, oh, you know, I, am I not um, am I not credible enough? And so it's a two way street. I was lucky enough that that conversation happened that way. Um, but the other thing that's that's really important, I think, is understanding that opportunity doesn't always come at the right time, and it doesn't come gift doesn't come gift wrapped, right? So <laughs> often, lots lots of people will think about right. I want to go to this destination, and then they're fixated on that destination, and mm. and and if that if that doesn't happen, then it's there's devastation. And so, in in my personal experience, for me and people that I know, there is there is no path that is linear, right? It, it's yeah. literally up and down. And so I, I gave you my, my first story. I wanted to go to New York. We got, we, we sold everything that we had. Uh, uh, the the uh, gifts for, for our wedding were dollars, right? Our honeymoon was in New York. And, <laughs> and, and we were told, you know, and then two weeks later, sorry, we're not going to New York. And so you have a choice at that moment, right? It's like, you can either be devastated about this, American dream that I had, or look at it and say, well, actually, do you know what was more important was uh, getting an opportunity. New York is, is just one jacket. So I took that jacket off and put on my Amsterdam jacket, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. And and then, you know, four, four and a half, five years later, I'm in New York. And so I got to where I wanted. I, I got there. I got there in a better position, actually, as well, after working in, in my time in Amsterdam. And I was also better suited to it because I've, I've now worked in, in, in two different locations rather than just in, in, from the UK. So that's what I mean about opportunity doesn't come gift wrapped. If you if you communicate, but also have the flexibility that that's where I want to go. There might be different steps along the way. That that to me is where as a leader, if I talk to, to individuals about that, that's where I think somebody can stand out, can have that edge. Because what you do today isn't what you're going to do tomorrow. But lots of people sometimes, uh, I think, have a too much of a blinkered approach. And think, yeah. I, I need to be, yeah, I need to be in this stop, this position, this position, this. It's like, it doesn't work like that. Well, certainly it didn't work like that for me. Yeah. But at the same time, that's what actually gave you the competitive edge. Yeah. No, that, thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. So I, I want to dig into the sort of nuances of, of going into a different market that sort of um, we can talk about New York, Amsterdam, and the nuances of those different markets, and going into sure. these um, places and adapting, etc. Because I'm sure there would have had to be an even more flexibility when you entered these new environments, right? But just because you've spoken about it quite quite a bit, I, I want to ask you this question now, and, and it's about purpose, right? It seems like you've really anchored onto that that sort of really helped you along your career, right? And I think what I love about your story is that you've you've built a clearly you've built a sustainable career right um you hear about a lot of people enter the recruitment industry and then, and then and then leave it but you you've built um you've worked at one particular company for a very long time right so 
the purpose piece, you're hearing that a lot more now. I think the COVID period had really tested people's purpose, right? And I'm sure you've even experienced that yourself. So I guess the question is, if I'm listening to this right now, I might be someone early on in my recruitment career and, and that might be a bit, I don't know, that might be difficult for me to sort of uncover or think about or talk to. And I don't know, I might find it difficult to uncover or I might be someone listening on later on down my career where I've had more time to work that out. So I guess the question is like, how can the people listen to this? How can recruiters listen to this sort of tap into that purpose, which really is important for longevity and sustainability in, in recruitment? How did you tap into it and does it change? And yeah, just, I guess, talk a bit about the purpose bit and your journey with that. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on, Hashim. Um, like, like I mentioned, in my experience, the people that are genuinely purpose-driven in whatever vocation, but we're talking about recruitment, but in whatever vocation, uh, time and time again, you will I, I will see them achieve above and beyond their expectations. And so I guess I was, I've always been purpose or target-driven. Um, if I think about school, I think about sports, I think about the things that interested me when I was growing up, there's always something that I was running after. But it wasn't until the, an early MD of mine, you know, framed it in this way for me. And so what I needed to do at that time was self-reflect and, and just mm. ask myself the questions. What does that mean? And, and, and I work, you go through the kind of what, why, how, when, you know, uh, uh, question technique. So at, at the time, I was unashamedly materialistic. And what I meant by that was uh, um, I, wanted, I wanted to create a, a, a platform for my my wife and I. I wanted so whether that was investments, whether that was holidays, whether that was restaurants, whatever it was. I was knew that I needed to be able to uh, bill a certain amount to get there. And and I would ask myself why 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 do I care about that? What what is it that makes me uh, want to get out of bed? And I keep asking that question why until I found something right. And yeah. and that was that was where I'd go. Oh, that yeah, that is what's going to make a difference because I, I'll have just as many bad di- bad days as everybody else, just as many bad weeks. You know, that, that having a purpose doesn't mean you 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 beat that. Having a purpose just means you reduce the time uh, that you uh, feel sorry for yourself, right? Yeah, where you, where you where you feel like oh, the world's against me. It's like well, it's not. It's not actually against you. Um, what are you going to do to to move the needle forward? What's the thing that's pushing you? Um, and so I've talked to so many people in my career and ha- and supported them through that. So, you know, sometimes it's learning. Somebody, some people want to um, learn a particular skill, a particular tactic. That that's what gives them their energy. Other people, it's self development. Other people, it's a sense of victory. Other people, it's recognition. There are a number of different things that. Um, give you your spark, give you your joy, and and so you have to have a you have to have a moment of, of self reflection, and then don't take it like uber seriously, but like set maybe a six month goal. Sometimes twelve months is a bit much for some people, right? Just set six months and just go. What would I? How do I want to feel in six months time? Right? What would that look like? So if I did this, how uh, you know would I like mm. the look of it? How do I? How would I feel? What would it? What would it feel around me? And and then you kind of visualize that that sense, and then and then you work backwards. Okay, so what will I need to do to achieve that? And you know, some people have post-its on their PC, some people uh, post-its on their mirrors in their bedrooms or whatever. However, you need it to visualize and and, and remind yourself. Use that, 
um, and but tap into it, particularly through the tough times. But also, um, don't ignore it when you do well, because it's always good to re- confirm um, what it is that you're you're working towards, and then assess once you've achieved it. Like, great, do I want to double down and you know earn more money, or do I want to do I want to do this or whatever? The purpose is certainly unique to you, but I I I, I find it very difficult for uh, for anybody if they don't have if they don't have that, then I don't understand what you're working towards. Yeah. You know, um, a promotion. A lot of people say, I'm working towards a promotion. That's brilliant. Of course it is. But once you hit that promotion, what's next? Right. Yeah. You know, a, a promotion I feel like should be part of your journey, but not the, not the destination, not not the end of your journey. It's a byproduct of you. It's a recognition of you doing well when you get in there. So what it, what is what is it that um, is going to take you through that promotion? And not just that first promotion, the next promotion. That, to me, is when you're clear on your purpose, you can explode. But if you're just sat there thinking, oh, I'm just going to get promoted to be a senior con or a principal con, I think you're missing your potential. You're you're missing the opportunity to discover what's great about you. Yeah, no, I think you spoke about that really well. And I'm glad you brought that up. So I think the key things that I took there to sort of put that together is, yeah, Ask yourself why you want that or this or whatever it is more than more than once, right? To sort of yes. peel back that onion and yeah, try and find that anchor point. And I think the other part there, you've I agree. I think the best recruiters I've interviewed on this show, one of the common traits is definitely willing to self-reflect, or that's something that something that they actively do, right? Being willing to go, right, what went well this week, what didn't, that call went badly, what could I've done to improve it, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, so I think, but and then the other part that you mentioned there, which I think is really important, is that destination piece, right? Because I've spoken to a lot of high, highly successful recruitment professionals who have maybe been too reliant or put too em- too much emphasis on the destination. If that's achieving a certain paycheck, if that's getting the uh, promotion, as you said, when you then get there. And I don't know if you ever felt this, but then it's like, oh, wow, okay, this doesn't feel as great as I thought it would, or it doesn't last as long as you thought it would. And then it's like, what next? What now? Exactly. And that's why you're and that's why you're talking about that potential miss of your own potential if you don't dig that bit deeper. Because as you just said, if you dig that bit deeper and you really have clarity on why and where you're going, then these promotions and these destinations along the way will be a byproduct. So, so if you're yeah. listening to this, yeah, explore that you should really explore that yeah 100 percent. because promotions work for some people and for others it, it doesn't mean so much right it might be excellence in their field it might be um uh, it might be something else and so often you join an organization and you just you look forward and you think right okay the way for me to progress is via career and that's fantastic of course and and you know I hope your organization has got a very clear path for you for you to do that. But don't just tap out of that area. To, you know, think think to yourself, where where else can I where else can I excel? What's going to make me happy? What where, where where else can I take take myself? And so learning a new skill within the job that you're doing, I don't know, maybe maybe you're um you're a you're a great recruitment consultant, but you haven't done any networking yet, right? You you could do that a bit better. Maybe you haven't sold sold a particular um, element in the job. Maybe you haven't done retainers before, or you have, but it, only a few. How can you learn that expertise? Maybe maybe you haven't done any cross selling into different uh, product lines. 
there are many different ways that you can get deep in, in, in the job that can feed your purpose. Um, and so, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, you've got to have clarity um, so that you can just fly through, right? Um, mm. And I, I, I think if you ever find yourself having a what next moment, then, then pause, right? And, mm. and, then, and then go and go again with that self-reflection. Yeah. Okay. Re- really, really enjoyed that. So I, I'm, I'm really excited to dig into s- a bit more like tactical, practical things here with you. So just for context for, for me and people listening, when you went to Amsterdam and also New York and beyond, did you typically go into those environments at, at senior level? Was you um, billing at that point? Just, just to give me a bit of context so then I can make sure I ask the right questions. Yeah, of course. Um, when I when I uh, launched Amsterdam with with the team, I, I wasn't billing at that particular time. Okay. And that and, and and as I as I grew, my my role became larger with with greater complexity, and so my position um, skill set was much more strategic. Okay. And was that echoed in New York or? Yeah. So when when we launched in Amsterdam, we started with with five. Uh, okay. It was a f- fantastic uh, experience and. Uh, we we built and I ended up being asked to manage um, uh, different businesses and so I, I built my my um, uh, scale if you like up to uh, forty five uh, people and then moved to New York and that team was twelve so oh, okay. so um, I mentioned that because when Gary Eldon who was the uh, CEO at the time talked to me about America because he knew. I wanted to go five years yeah. prior. Um, I built myself to this position. I was um, on the board in in the in the Dutch business. I was running two brands. Um, you know, forty five people were looking to take that to 60, 70, 80. and he was like, "Well, there's an opportunity in New York, but it's twelve people." So, mm-hmm. you know, um, that didn't matter to me. It didn't matter to me because I knew I, I knew. Uh, what I wanted was the opportunity and I knew I could take my, my time from 12 to make it 130, which is what I ended up finishing with. So the, um, the, the skill set that I employed at in all of those jobs was talking about um, trying to make sure that we've got the right uh, access to, to talent, trying to make sure that we've got the right, taking the right opportunity to market and then, you know, building the, the talent pipeline to, to execute on that and grow. And um, fortunately enough, I was, able to surround myself with some great people and that's that's what we did okay that that's really good context so then just to be clear then so you, you when you went into new york again in that more strategic growth position and by the time you left to join sgi it went from 12 to over 100 people that you was yeah so the the responsibility that i had um grew from uh, december 2012 until um the end of uh, uh two yeah, 2020. Um, I, I managed 130 people across across brands. So I went from one Different team, brands, yeah, one, one team um, perm in New York to um, five brands, seven locations, all of perm across America. Okay, cool. So first thing I want to dig into, and then I'd be keen to then dig into more practical things around client development and and these types of things that a lot of people always want to hear about, right? So the first thing that I have to ask you, I I do get these questions quite a lot, and it's around the the nuances of the different markets, right? I think from the conversations that I've been having, I think if you're a recruitment business or a recruiter that um, did diversify your business, 
as in not just be reliant maybe in, in one particular location that you recruited or in one particular market, you had a better chance of, of thriving rather than just surviving during the COVID period, right? So, so yeah. I do feel like there'll be a lot of businesses um, that will be continuing to diversify if that's opening up new um, markets in different countries, et cetera. So if we start with Amsterdam first then, what would you say were the main sort of different new nuances that you had to adapt to or learn the hard way? And then we'll go to America. Just quickly to hear your take on that. Were, were these people super direct and you had to always go through internal recruitment? I don't know. What were the sort of key, maybe one to three things that you really had to adapt to that you think are specific to the Amsterdam market and region? Right. So we started trading into Amsterdam from, from London before we um, yeah. we landed. So we had a, we had a you know, soft, uh, soft launch, if you like. And uh, the... The Dutch are famously direct, which is which is uh, which is fantastic, actually, because you you actually know where you stand. The <laughs> difficulty the difficulty that we had were that we weren't we, we didn't speak Dutch, right? right. Um, uh, we 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 hired we hired uh, one guy uh, at the beginning of the launch, and he, he spoke Dutch, and so he he had to become our translator in lots of situations, and so um, communication was difficult in some circumstances. Uh, and so having to be direct was 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 really important. I think the other the other thing that I really I really stand stands out was that the Dutch were quite tolerant, um, and they would give you they would give you a chance. They were, were, were willing to work with you, um, and uh, you know uh, for, forgive if you demonstrated that you you were working hard, right? If you could show that you were. Your partnering with them—that was slightly different to my experience in the in the UK when I, when I was leading then. Because sure, we'd had some great relationships with, with and partnered with some great customers, but it was it was much more transactional. And so, coming going to Europe, uh, mainland Europe, that was the first time that I really uh, felt like you could you could create partnerships, and that's that's really been the case in the US. And so, that was the first mm. transition where I was like, "Whoa, okay, wow." You know, we can really do something together here and be be viewed as a partner rather oh, than yeah. just be view, viewed as a supplier. Uh, and, and then all the kind of negative connotations that come with that. You know, you, you, you can't really get the best out of each other. Uh, and so, yeah, those are the two things that stood out to me over my time in Holland. Nice. That, that, that's great. I think that's really interesting. And then let's just then go into America then. So some of the things that I've heard and we've heard on this podcast are, <laughs> can definitely make more money. Fees tend to be typically larger. Um, corporate recruitment, internal recruitment are definitely people that you want to have on your side. And you you may actually piss more people off and um, reduce your potential if you just do like the typical thing in the UK, right? Bypass those people and just speak to the hiring managers and maybe secondary be concerned about building relationships with internal. Um, and then also then the common things that we've heard of then actually like the lack of competition that there are obviously there, there are competitors, right. But the sort of just mass scale of America and actually the, the there's so much potential and opportunity because there are far less recruiters compared to the, the UK in America. Right. So I guess nuances in America that you obviously now are accustomed to and, and know that you think would be beneficial for people to understand and know from like someone like yourself who's been operating in that market for a, for a while now. 
Right. So the the things that you've mentioned are, are, are certainly my experiences as well. Right. There there is there is a wonderful opportunity to create a platform of excellence. Right. There the fees. Uh, certainly do offer a greater upside than perhaps some parts of uh, the, the world. Um, but it's not for nothing, right? You you can't just land and just expect uh, high fees. You've got to be able to still demonstrate your value. Uh, and and, and I, I find the um, American uh, experience quite similar to, to the Dutch in, in, in as much as they're very willing to partner, they're very willing to give you a, a chance – because you know, sales and recruitment is a it's a much more respected profession in America than it might be in other parts of the world, and so mm. you know they 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 get that you're 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 trying to make a difference, but they'll certainly hold you to a high standard. Um, you are able to, I think, demonstrate your value and and look for uh, better margins. But again, at that with 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 those customers, you've got to be able to to show how you can stand out, and it's. It's got to be greater than oh, I can find you a candidate. So what? So so can so can everybody else. Um, what 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 companies are really looking for is greater than contingent. Is how how can you how can you take us on this journey? Now I don't need you just to send me and and place one candidate here or there. How can how can you really add value to the business? And so being able to demonstrate that is 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 really important. Um, having Having um, a niche focus, it's it's often said, but it, it, it can't be it can't be overstated. Um, this idea of being a jack of trades or, or you know jack of all and master of none, it just doesn't work. I've I've seen so many people you know, want to conquer all of America. It's just too big. It's really mm. really too big. You need to be able to uh, you know coin the phrase um, inch wide, mile deep. That that's where you make make your difference. And that's actually where your, your 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 customers see your value because most of the competition, the American staffing businesses don't generally operate a 360 model. They have a you know 180, they have an account team yeah. and people on delivery. And those people on delivery are largely um, cross vertical. And so you know they will find candidates on the, you know the periphery. And so if you can demonstrate your, your expertise and find the top 10% that they can't find, that's your edge. And and um, and so having that expertise is, is is vital. It's very tempting. I don't know if you're in New York to start trading into Boston or trading into Philadelphia, but there's plenty for you to go after in, if you are in, in in one location. Have that commitment. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Right. So so I'm keen to go into the more sort of tactical things day to day that. Obviously, you've been in in a sort of real, and I guess I'm assuming with SGI, you're in a similar role now, where you're responsible for the growth and strategy for for the business, right? But in America, so I guess what what people always want to know about Ben is is, is the sort of new business element, right? I, I don't. It seems like it's just always the most popular area that where people want to develop and improve and and sort of master, right? So I guess let let let's start here. So. Maybe we can take you can take the sort of last six to twelve months because let's keep it sort of current to today. Over the last six to twelve months, like in your opinion, from what you've seen from people in your team and people that you manage, like what have been the sort of one or two ways that have been the most effective for your guys and, and girls to win business and, and form client relationships and new client relationships? Would you say? It starts in the um, you being an expert. Right. Okay. It's this is this is such a 
it's such an obvious thing to say, but so many people don't operate this way, right? They understand it, but they don't believe it. And so the people um, in our current team that that are uh, standout great performers and people that I've managed before, they're at the, they're in the center of, of of their hurricane, if you like, right? They're they're yeah. they're at the center of the storm. And so what I mean by that is they um, they 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 will know the top one hundred top maybe 150 candidates, say you're on perm, that are in their vertical. But in, in my in my in my humble experience, I don't think you need more than about 150 to 200 candidates, top candidates in your particular market for you to execute and, and be a top, top, top biller, right? Yeah. The difference is it, the difference is understanding who they are and keeping in contact with them. Mm. Too many people um give this business a really bad name because they ghost, right? They talk to you the first time. And yeah. uh, if, you, if you're good or no good, then, then you're gone. You miss that deep expertise. You miss that deep knowledge. And so if you focus on your community and you build it out, they become your advocates. And so almost everybody that I've ever seen build a business, other than their, you know, their ability to work hard, you know, find a pool of candidates very quickly, what you'll notice is that they break into accounts based on their relationship. Somebody has recommended them. Somebody has gone internally and advocated for them in a really strong way. Somebody has said, hey, you should work with X, Y, Z. And, and that is, is how they are breaking into other division lines within those organizations or how they're breaking into those organizations because the candidate that they worked with over here They've got such a great relationship with. They moved on, and they can they can play them in. No, I think I think gone are the days where you just want to blindly do a send out and just think, oh, that's going to open me business. You might open something sporadically, but it's the relationships that you that that will open uh, genuine doors for you. And you can't build those relationships if you don't have expertise. And your expertise doesn't need to be just within your market. Sure, you need to know the tactics. You need to understand how your market operates but your expertise is recruitment and that is what people look for and that's in in my opinion that's how you can stand out and time and time again I see and hear the teams talking about oh this person has introduced me over here hey you should talk to this person because of x and and it's and it's and it's it's always and it's always boils down to that relationship It, it, it it really it really does and so how, how do you build and nurture your community? You can, you can do that via personal branding. Lots of people will be using LinkedIn and, and, and yeah. other platforms to communicate, which is fantastic. There's, um, you, can, you can have your own uh, community in terms of networking events when we're allowed to see each other, um, virtual at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, but but the, the thirst to build and feed that community is 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 what makes a difference, and then that community will feed you back. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I mean, you you may have answered it, but my next question was just going to be sort of, in your opinion, what's the sort of one most important thing recruitment consultants listening to this need to master, and why? <laughs> when it comes to maybe new business, but I don't know, maybe you just answered it as relationships, but what comes up for you for that? Like if, if people listening could really become a master at, I know there's a multiple tree of things that you need to do, but what comes up for you? 
you've got to have credibility. And so to create credibility, you've got to know what you're talking about. So you've got to know, you've got to know your, 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 um, your personal market, but you've got to understand recruitment. You've got to understand push and pull factors. You've got to be able to offer advice. You can't just rock up and just say, are you looking for a job? Like that's, that's such a basic interaction, right? You yeah. need to be able to understand um, the desires, the needs, the push and pull factors that operate in your market and talk to somebody about that. And so I often talk about the first time you talk to somebody, it's not the goal is not, oh, I need to place you to tomorrow, today or tomorrow. Yeah. The goal is I, I want to get to know you. I'm going to place you at some point, right? It might be today. It might be next year. And I think if you take that approach and you're and you're committed to that approach, remember I talked about identifying your network and then just constantly running around it, right? Constantly mm. talking to people, constantly building, sticking in your niche. You will build a reputation. Right, you build a reputation as you're reliable, right? Because you keep in contact. You you build a reputation as you're honest, right? Because you're doing the the things that you said you're going to do, and that is what people buy. People buy that. They they don't they don't buy the oh I've got five years experience in this. So what, right? So does everybody else that calls me up. What they want to be able to see is that how you how you can make an impact to them, and so that. That is what I would say is 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 a, a credibility and a commitment to to that uh, idea. Um, call back people, right? Um, have them in your list. Get yeah. to know them. Um, understand what 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 they care about. If they've got a family, know they know them, right? If if they um, what are their interests? How can you build that relationship if you if you're not committed to to doing the hard yards? Um, but your question was. What's what's the biggest difference, or what 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 can people? What, do? what what do people need to really master? Yeah, so so I think we talked we talked about that from a new business point of view. Of course, there are different approach. There are different markets that need slightly different nuanced approaches. The question I often ask, and the individual needs to have the self reflection, is how do you win? Right. So, what is it in your market that makes the difference? So, if you're on perm. Generally, your objective is, to, is obviously to get jobs, but it's it's really interviews is the is the currency, right? You yeah. need to be able to get a consistent number of interviews in your in your marketplace for you to be relatively successful. So, how do you win? What is it that you need to do to create that for you? Is it mm. you've got a, you've got a headhunt um, candidates because your candidate pool isn't big enough, or if you've got a big enough candidate pool, I need to keep in touch with them. There are there are a myriad of different things, but if you zero in on that. The outcome will be will be the interviews, on contracts. The thing that will make the difference is the amount of committed jobs that you have. A B jobs is how I yeah. refer to them. So, who? How are you going to do that? Right? Um, where are you going to find these pockets of, of business lines in in customers? And so, those are the tactics that will vary based on your experience, based on your market, based on your region. But the question should always be. How do you win? Do you What's win? The th- yeah. What are the things that you need to execute on a daily basis? And if you commit to that, the rest follows. And so yeah, when, I when, when, I was, when I was growing up in the business, the thing that made the difference to me was being able to uncover or generate or regenerate two unique candidates a day. 
right? So I knew if I found two unique candidates a day that I could then sell out to my live jobs and then, you know, spec out to other companies that I felt that could make a difference, I knew if I could do that to 10 a week and I could send them each to at least 10 different places, that's going to create an opportunity for me to pull jobs and get interviews. And conversely, if I did not do that, I didn't get the interviews that I needed to, to have. So I didn't, I didn't um, obsess so much about jobs. I didn't obsess so much about interviews. I obsessed about finding those candidates. And my criteria was clear. They needed to be um, in my market. They needed to have a certain depth of experience. They needed to have a certain type of profile. And I obsessed in that world. And then that, I knew if I found that person, I could get them two, three, four interviews. It, it just happened. I knew I could pull a job. I knew I could get their place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how I that's how I won. And everybody I work with, I we try to drill down and just get really to the nub of it. That's that's the difference maker. Yeah, honestly, I love how because I love that how, asking that question. How do you win? And I think what what the way that you've articulated that, and bro, I think what I love about that is that you've you've made it when you really dig down and think about those things it then becomes really simple or like really yeah. clear what you need to focus on because as you know contract uh, recruitment consultant there's a, especially if you're 360 right there's so many different things that you could spend time on but do you have you actually taken a step back and asked yourself what do i need to make sure i do on a daily basis that will uh, give me the outcome that i'm after and, and like you said you you worked out how you can win. So I think that's such a great insight to people because when you really dig deep, it then, like you just said, like you could have worried about all these other things, but you knew if you got those two candidates that fitted the criteria that you spent a lot of time working out, that the rest should take care of itself. And I guess not yeah. many recruiters or average recruiters work out what is that formula? What what are the things that's going to help me win? So I, I love that. Yeah. That's a great insight, Ben. It's, it's like think of it as dominoes. Right. Yeah. What's that first domino that you need to flick over? And if you see any of these, uh, you know, uh, fantastic feats, people build these stacks of dominoes. It starts with one and it, it knocks over and then you get your biggest one at the end. Right. <laughs> and so, it, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's not to say that you you should ignore all the other inputs. They're all important. Right. But there's there will always be something based on your experience or your or your market that will be like, if I do that right. If I if I get this spot on, then these other things will knock forward, and then and then as you get better at that, maybe there's something else that you move to. But too many people just um, they float around. I think they float around and they do a bit of this and a bit of that, and and they don't understand the ratios. They don't understand the uh, the real difference makers. Yeah. So the next thing I have, are we okay for 10, 10 more minutes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. So. Yeah. Next thing, this is again really practical, but a really common question is a lot of people want to know, okay, Ben, so the, the recruiters that you've seen when they were performing, I don't know, 100K, 150K years to then becoming sort of double that 300K, 400K plus billers, what, what changed in their day-to-day -day from when they were 100, 150K billers to that? People want to know that. Like, I don't know if anything comes up for you then. It's this sort of... The, the daily routines of a recruiter that was sort of performing half of what they were, they were doing to now double that. What what changed? It's what I've talked about already, right? It's it's the belief in how you win. So okay. I, I I I can I can think of top of my head about fifteen people. Uh, 
in the last two years that have trebled, quadrupled their performance. Right. One individual, one individual in particular that uh, I, I won't I won't mention, but this person uh, the previous year, right, had a performance that was um, disappointing, right? Uh, barely did barely did the level of performance that they wanted. I, I think for the full year did. I think three hundred thousand US, right? And in the US, that that that's not a that's not a particularly high benchmark. So so this person spent the Christmas break trying to understand and trying to uncover what what it is that would make the difference in their market. And 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 the the, the key difference was working with better commitment, right? Because what they were doing, they were working on so many different jobs and requirements. Everyone was window shopping and just not going anywhere. And so came back and took this took this attitude of right. I'm going to start working retained. And before this point, the person didn't really have a, a belief in it because they weren't uh, confident in themselves that they would fill it because they'll they'll work at any type of job. So we we narrowed it down. In the January, true story. In the January, this individual started pitching retainers. One, two retainers, uh, I believe, in 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 the January. And uh, by February, had pulled 19 retained, assigned retained businesses. And um, by the March, uh, this person's now, now doing 200K months, right? Because wow. they, 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 have, they have set themselves up in this position where in the beginning, they were pitching for retained, they weren't quite sure. By February, they're like, I can't work with you until, unless you're retained because I've got such a full desk. This demonstrated their credibility immediately to that their client um, uh, portfolio. And now everybody wanted to work with this person. That person went from 300 that year, the previous year, to 1.1 million US in, in uh, the next year on per, right? Night shift, a complete difference. And that difference was because of understanding how that how would they win in that market. And the way that they would win was great commitment, uh, and which was working on retain. So went from no retainers doing 1.1 million, and of that, about 800k of that was retained. Yeah. So that's, that. a, that's a, a a very clear example. It's it's um, there will be different nuances, but understand it and then commit to it. Yeah. I have to ask because it is a really popular area and something that comes up in the community a lot. Just just re- just really quickly. I'm assuming you was involved at this stage, like going from that shift from contingent to pitch and retained, or they may have even been doing some exclusive sort of um, agreements, right? But now doing retained. What were the, what were just the main sort of, before they gained confidence, Ryan, it's a lot easier to pitch these things when you've already done one or two. And like you just said, they're, they're going, hey, look, well, I, look, I understand I can help you, but I can't unless we agree this because this is what's going on, blah, blah, blah. So, I guess just for people listening, because I feel like this is a really, really popular area for people that want to develop. One or two things that that person really had to overcome when they were sort of um, making that transition of getting more commitment of retained. Typically, it's not believe, not really believing in in um, the actual uh, doing retained and will they deliver it? If it's actually <laughs> asking, it always it's always that. It's, people don't ask. Like when you like, have you asked? So I don't know. And anything that you can share that they really had to overcome that maybe help them have that breakthrough moment. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Hisham. The first, the first thing is the belief. And when you and when you uncover it, largely it's because 
when people have uh, when people pitch retained, it's their first instinct is they pitch it for the most difficult job in their market, right? And they go, mm. look, I'll only work it if it's retained. And and it's outside their scope. They don't understand it. The customer has a terrible experience. You don't you don't place it. They they look they want their money back, and it just feels it's just awful. And in my opinion, that's that's the wrong approach, right? Actually, retained should be in the sweet spot of your market, right? Because the, what the customer is is um, buying is your time and your your resource, right? Your service. And so what you're saying to them is, I'll get, I'll give you a, a great proportion of my time uh, and retain. But you know, if you don't want that in retain, then I'll I'll give you less. And so taking the customer on that journey, you know, um, I often talk about like being able to demonstrate that you know, uh, retained is is the is the greatest level of service we offer. Then you know, there's other categories, but A, B, C, yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 um, at, at these levels, this is what you're going to get from us. And you just be transparent and then just ask them, where do you want to sit? And I haven't met anybody that sits there as a customer goes, oh, actually, I want to be a C client. Can you just <laughs> send me, can you send me, you know, candidates that every, uh, you know, once a week after everybody else doesn't want them? Nobody, nobody talks like that. You know, everybody wants a better level of service. So you've got to just be able to be able to articulate your value and stand behind it. The other problem I think people haven't retained is that they offer it as a discount. Right. And so they have their, their contingent fee and they go, well, if you do it retained, I'll give you a discount. Mm. You need to flip that. It needs to be the other way around. You are giving more of your time. So if anything, retained should be more expensive. It's the top layer of service. And so having the belief in those two areas makes makes a difference. And then something I talked about earlier, having expertise. There's no point in you pitching retained in areas you don't know. Right, because you're just going to struggle to find them. So if you if you're a master of your particular network, you can get retained. You can fill it quickly. You can make the difference to the customer, and everybody can everybody wins. Um, so yeah, that's those are those are those are three things that I think make make the difference. Other than practicing, right? Yeah, have yeah. a just just have a go. Are you you spot on? Ask the question. You know, start a retained, and and if they. Um, if the customer won't go and retain, then ask for an exclusive. If they don't go exclusive, ask yeah, for exactly. Yeah, exactly. Work, yeah, yeah. Work, work, <laughs> work your way, work your way down, and and at some point, then you decide whether the customer's worth partnering with or not. It's it's got to be your choice, right? Yeah. Um, and and I, and I think that's I think that's really powerful because individuals have a certain capacity. You know, people people have the ability to to work a certain amount in the time. So categorize and prioritize your time so you get your best bang for your buck. Awesome. So before I um, ask you the sort of final five questions, always do sort of a bit of a quick fire round to, to finish. There's loads more that we could talk about, but I'm, we'll, we'll sort of uh, wrap up here. Maybe we can get you back on in, in the future, right? There's loads yeah. of sort of leadership stuff that I'd love to dig in with you, but I'm, I'm glad with where, where it's gone. So I guess what I just wanted to hear from you is your sort of your your honest take on on the US market to sort of sort of pull this together and obviously you can relate this to sort of I guess a real big opportunity for you SGI and, and what you're building there so I guess if I'm honest with you before before covid um I'd say a lot of or most progressive recruitment companies had America on their business plan it seemed like that that I spoke to because of the things that we've spoken about right so obviously this may have delayed some people's plans or it just meant like that, yeah, people have to wait longer for visas, which means more time in the UK and building it, et cetera. 
But what's your sort of honest take on like how the US recruitment market is going to be sort of taking shape over the next sort of two and a half, sort of five years, if we can look that far in the future? I guess there will be more and more companies, probably UK companies entering the US market, right? And I'm wanting to, to get some of this market share. And I know there's plenty to go around. But what's your sort of take on how are you feeling about the, the US market and how, sh- yeah, what do you think people should think about it and, and how they should view it for people listening to this that may be thinking about wanting to take their recruitment career internationally and, and particularly the States? The States is an incredible opportunity. Like, no question. I, I, I wanted to move there in 2007. I ended up getting there in 2012 and I'm, 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 still, I'm still here, right? So my, my actions speak uh, in terms of what I... <laughs> What I personally feel about this, this as a location, it, you know, there's a bit of a fallacy in terms of uh, it's 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 a it's a mature market. There are some heavy heavyweight uh, U.S. staffing businesses out there that post incredible numbers, and so the the view tends to be that um, because there's not many British companies that have gone and set up there, which is which is true. Um, the the people in my network that I know are trading in the U.S particularly last year and, and, and through to now, focus on STEM markets, they are producing incredible returns, incredible um, double-digit so Just to make that really year. clear for people, because some people, STEM markets, what, what would you, just to make that really clear for people, when you say STEM markets, what, what are we talking, just to be clear for people? Um, science, technology, engineering, and uh, mathematics. And so, okay, cool. So though, though, those, those markets, the... Um, have 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 produced incredible results year on year on year on year, and and last year the companies that are in the US focused on that um, had had some some outrageous growth. So I I am really really bullish about the US opportunity. We are seeing it ourselves personally. My network are seeing are seeing incredible uh, gains to be made following this, these structures that we've talked about. Right, having expertise. Um, Deciding what what you're going to be famous for, uh, and 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 then having commitment into that market. You, there are there's plenty there's plenty to go around, uh, and 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 it's, it's a very exciting time. And what um, always interested on this, like what what sort of free states are you excited by? Obviously, you live in Chicago, and I'm, I'm guessing you're excited. I don't know what what free states because there's a lot of different sort of states and places people can look at, right? But I guess what what sort of states excite you? Maybe top three you're looking at. Um, so, so, so currently, uh, California, the East Coast, and the Midwest is is uh, is my lens of focus, um, particularly around tech and and life science. There, there is tremendous hotbeds of uh, of, of talent in terms of you know universities local talent and also yeah. the types of organizations there so the us is vast it's it's inconceivable in, in some in some cases to, to really get your head around uh, so that's where my laser focus is right now that that's where i'm feeling greatest excitement yeah okay really interesting okay so i've got five questions for you to finish sure. this okay so first question is if you could change the industry, what would you improve? Diversity. I, mm. I there is there's such low barriers of entry into staffing, but it unfortunately it doesn't transcend uh, across 
many diverse areas, right? So I don't I don't just mean gender, but I also mean uh, ethnic diversity. Yeah. You know, I, I, just, I just don't, I think there is a great talent pool out there that doesn't get tapped into because people people farm in the, in, in, in the same areas, right? They, they yeah. farm for talent from certain universities or certain locations. So I'd love to see, I'd love to see um, a more diverse set of uh, people in the industry. Yeah, amazing. So uh, the next question is, what book have you read that has had the biggest impact on you? So if you don't read, that could be an audio book or maybe even a podcast, but yeah, what, what's the resource that you've read that's really had an impact on you? There's a number of books that I I've liked, uh, that I've picked up. The one that I've picked up most recently that I read, I've read two or three times is the one thing. And that, what I love about that book is the simplicity, right? This, this idea that you, you know, uh, you should you should try and zero in on on the on one thing that's gonna that one domino that's gonna make that difference in whatever that you're focusing on, and so that's a it's a well turned book that uh, is is by my bedside that I I would I would just dip into every now and again um, just to remind myself uh, about some of the things that I need to be working on. So yeah, I, I found that a particularly powerful book to help center me. Yeah, amazing. So next question is, if you could write a LinkedIn post that could be seen by every single recruitment consultant across the world, what would you want it to say? Um, I'm hiring for 25 people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What I wanted to say, I don't know, I I, I post now, so I, I... there are so many different topics. That's that's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to to answer. Um, what what would you want to communicate to a room full of like minded recruitment consultants? Is maybe a better way to look at it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess if I'm talking to people or giving any advice, um, the things that I'd want to impart is to encourage people to understand their purpose and and, and understand mm. that it's it's the juice is worth the squeeze if you understand what you want to squeeze, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and double down on that by having a simple approach, you know, focus on that one domino that will lead on to the next, lead on to the next, lead to the next. And so, yeah, perhaps perhaps that. Amazing. So next one is, uh, what did you spend your first biggest commission paycheck on? Oh, wow. So <laughs> I, rem- I remember getting my first, uh, five-figure uh, paycheck. Um, I, my wife, she, my girlfriend at the time, but um, we we went down to London. We stayed at the Sanderson Hotel, got a uh, got a suite, um, went and had uh, dinner at uh, Claridge's. Did a lot of shopping. Um, <laughs> went went to a went to a, a show in the West End. Um, and, and well, we stayed there. We stayed there in London for the weekend, and uh, and spent about eighty percent of it that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! Like we, Love that. We just we just wanted to just wanted to have fun, right? And yeah. and, and and just be not uh, think about and, what we're spending. Just yeah, just have fun with what we're doing. Yeah, just that freedom of like, yeah, do you want to do that? Yeah, let's just go and do it. And and so. 
I talked about purpose. You know, that that feeling gave me so, sparked so much joy that yeah. let me want to go and do it again. So, did, so did you, you didn't walk back, you didn't go back home with a Rolex or anything like that? <laughs> um, I, I didn't I didn't get that then, no. But um, oh, okay, I did. We did get jewelry um, and, oh, cool. uh, and 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 things like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. No, I didn't get a Rolex at that time. Nice. Okay. So, final question: What what's the ultimate goal for your recruitment career, Ben? For me, um, I want to. I felt like I um, I've had a great nineteen years at S three. I've got a lot of energy to go again, and my my goal. I want to. I want to build something that is long lasting. I want to build something that creates an opportunity, not just for me, but for the hundreds of people that I, I'm yet to know or yet to hire. And I want to make an impact, right? I want to discover more of my potential. I I, I feel like I've had a fantastic uh, inning so far, but it's untapped. It's 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 not even it's not even halfway um, where I think I could go. And so I want to discover my potential, and 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 being able to build something again really gives me that excitement, and 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 going along that journey with others and watching them take their opportunity, discovering their potential makes gives this fills up me up with joy ben it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for coming you on. too thank you very much really well done on making it to the very end of the episode i hope you enjoyed it i've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms and we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.